The following podcast is an enticing media production. She is a business owner, best-selling author, and on a mission to find out what the Nell is going on here. Here's your host, Nail Tice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another new episode of the What the Nell podcast with yours truly, Nell Tice. I just want to thank everyone so much for allowing me a week to not podcast. Um, You know, things just got a little crazy. It's called life. So I'm very appreciative to all of my listeners and um, for sticking with me through that. And you know what? That just means that things are getting bigger and better here on the podcast. Uh, I have switched hosting platforms, so I'm very excited to be with this new platform and uh, check out some of the benefits as far as analytics and uh, all the ways that my podcast can be distributed to other platforms uh, in an even better way. So very excited for that and um, adding a couple of new time management techniques into my planning and recording and all of the good stuff and behind the scenes stuff that people don't really see. So very excited about that. Um, yeah. And speaking of all of that stuff, you know, it's just, it's cool because podcasting is so great. And for a lot of people, it's an easy, fun thing to do, but when you're actually using it for your business and, or trying to make a business of it it becomes a little more than just a fun little side thing to do. So time management and planning and all of that is super, super important. And I'm definitely getting better with that. So I appreciate your patience. Um, Now, moving on to a couple of other housekeeping items. Uh, Coming up in October, I am taking the stage for the first time. Very excited. Um, With the Slaymaker Methods event, the Slaymaker Methods Success Summit, Friday, October 14th at the Englewood in Hershey, Pennsylvania. There are very few VIP tickets left, so grab one of those if you want the entire VIP experience. If not, uh, general admission is still available. Uh, Look, you get tons of value from either one of the tickets, so whatever works best for you is going to be awesome. So pick up a ticket to that, uh, bring your friends, anybody that you feel may get value out of the event. So I'll link all that information in the description to this episode below. I, I think that leaves us with the introduction for our guest today. I am so excited to have uh, the wonderful, lovely Christina Deal. I just met her literally on Facebook. Um, I mean, we have a bunch of mutual friends, of course, and things like that. So she reached out to me and she was like, hey, girl, love your profile. Uh, let's meet for coffee. And we both happen to be very local um, within, you know, like 25 miles of each other. So we met up for coffee a couple of times and had some awesome discussions. And turns out she is an amazing realtor in the Lancaster Lancaster area, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I should specify. Um, she's also the self-proclaimed money girl, which is the title of her book, uh, which I think she should rename to money queen because that's just how I think of her. But, you know, 
there could be copyright issues there. So I get that. But um, she really is. She's got some amazing insight. And today we're talking about how to get young people into some really good money habits, how to end the stigma with talking about money and how to properly talk about money, uh, saving, investing, and all of that. And how we all wish that when we were 18 years old, we would have had some sort of an education on how to properly uh, save and invest our money. So we're going to be getting into some detail about that, which I am really looking forward to. And I hope that you guys will find some value in this as well. So without further ado, our amazing guest for today, Miss Christina Deal. I have a very exciting guest today. Her name is Christina. She is also known as the Money Girl, and that is because she has a book out called Money Girl. And let me tell you, when she calls herself the Money Girl, that's because that is who she truly is. She knows all about saving, investing, and she is a realtor extraordinaire. And she's got some wonderful advice to share, and specifically sharing advice to and for young people that may not have a clue about money and how to form a good relationship with money. So without further ado, welcome Christina to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Wow. Thank you for that intro. That was great. (laughs) I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, you know, I, for some reason, when I was growing up, I learned, you know, I had an allowance and I had a little piggy bank and then eventually got a savings account. And, but I never really fully learned about like the stock market investing or real estate or anything like that, even in high school as we were all preparing to go to college. So what everyone always talked about was go to college, go to college. Nobody, yeah, I mean, there was financial aid and things like that, but We never really talked about how to save or any of that stuff. So, you know, I know this is a big part of your book. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became so passionate about this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I received an education growing up, you know, from my parents and mainly my father that I didn't realize at the time most other people weren't getting. You know, I just kind of took for granted that, We talked about money and best practices and investing and the power of real estate and things like that. And it was probably, you know, well into my thirties when I started hearing people around me say, oh, I wish I knew that. I wish I had that education. I wish I hadn't, you know, made these mistakes that I started to, it really clicked like, oh, this is a unique experience. Not not everybody gets this financial education, which is probably one of the most important educations that you receive oh, for sure. um, in your life or as a kid. So I think that's what made me passionate about it, realizing that there could be a whole nother generation of people that are now, you know, maybe in their teens waking up, you know, 20 years from now and being like, oh man, I have to dig myself out of the, the, you know, the debt that I've got myself into or the bad habits that I've gotten myself into. Right. Um, and, and me just really feeling like, well, if we can get them that information when they're in their teenage years and they don't, they don't make those mistakes to begin with, then they're that much further ahead. They can start building wealth right away and creating good habits right away instead of having to retrain 
habits later in life. Yes, yes. And that's so important to be ahead like that because, I mean, we all know life is short and a flash. It's like 20 years from then and, you know, you've yep. made the mistakes and you're, mm-hmm. you've made your bed and now you have to lie in it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that it's very ob- obvious that, you know, in our society, ads, you know, on social media or television or wherever you're getting information from, we're so heavy on selling and buying and, you know, just pushing mm-hmm. that agenda. So do you feel like society in general pushes more towards that for financial benefit versus educating people about how to be financially responsible? For sure. Absolutely. And I think especially in this day and age when everything's right in your face on Instagram and Facebook, um, it, there's very much even more so than there's always been a keep up with the Jones, Jones's type culture. Right. But now when it's in your face every day and you feel like everyone is living that life and you need to, you know, buy those things in order to, to stay on the same level as the people around you. Um, oftentimes those people that you are impressed by, you know, with what they own or what they're doing, they're living in debt. And that's nothing to aspire to. Um, So people are, you know, spending money that they don't have Mm -hmm. to just kind of imitate a lifestyle that they want to hopefully portray them as, you know, rich. Whereas, you know, the, the truly wealthy person is someone who's living within their means, regardless of what material things they have. Right. You know, well, how, so, you know, when you're young, especially it's all about the trends. Like if, someone's wearing a certain brand of something, then you will automatically want to too. How can you get past that need for instant gratification, that need to fit in? You know, how can you get past that in order to make these responsible decisions financially? I think it's two things. Um, especially when you're young, I think it takes a lot of self-confidence, which a lot of young people don't have. And so I understand that that makes it difficult but you have to not care what other people think of you. And I think the earlier in life that you can really own that and really learn that for yourself, the better off you're going to be in many aspects in life, you know, for the rest of your time. It's, it's a thing that we all have to learn at some point to not really care what other people think. And if you can learn it as a kid, then you are just that much, um, better off, you know, it's going to make life that much easier. Right. Um, and then I think also once you fully understand that oftentimes the people that are portraying the lifestyle that you want honestly can't afford it because most millionaires walk around in a t-shirt and jeans, you know what I mean? (laughs) They're not, they're not walking around trying to impress people with the things that they have. They're, they're happy in their, uh, freedom of their wealth and, you know, have fun making investments as opposed to impressing other people. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, (laughs) okay. So guilty pleasure admission. I do occasionally enjoy a random episode of the real housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Which I mean, what you're talking about totally fits this bill. So you know, we're watching, it's Beverly Hills, right? So automatically we're thinking about the stigma. We're thinking about money. We're thinking about wealth. We're thinking about expensive, shiny, big things, you know? And I just saw an episode recently where one of the girls threw a Christmas party and it was like anything you 
beyond your wildest imagination with how the house was decorated, all the lights and all the trees. And one of the other girls was in the middle of her like confessional thing, I think is what it's called. And she said, oh, there was some money spent on this party for sure. But she said it in a way that like, this is what you live for. This is what you want to aspire to be, to spend this money on this party. And I'm thinking, no, I feel like those that are truly wealthy don't even talk about money Mm -mm. or talk about how much they spent on a certain thing. You won't go to maybe a party and start talking about, oh, I love that car that you have in the driveway. How much did that run you? Like, I don't feel like those conversations those conversations happen between truly wealthy people. Do you feel like that too? I agree. I think that wealthy people talk about money in a different way. They're not afraid to discuss money and what they're investing in and strategies and, um, and the power of money. And that's, that's something that I think needs to change too. I think, um, you know, so often we're told money is evil and you don't talk about money. And I think that does a lot of people a disservice because, um, Unless you're in a room of, you know, friends that are talking about money, you should probably be be in a different room because how else do you, um, learn about maybe what you're could be, you're doing wrong or what you could be doing better. And one example is I remember years ago, um, a friend like realizing like he was in credit card debt yeah, and then, and he was just kind of talking about it. Like, um, Oh, but you know, every, like everyone at the bar, we all talk about how much debt we have and my debt's way less than their debt. And we all just have debt. That's what you do. You have credit card debt. And I'm like, no, that's (laughs) not normal. You need a different people, a different group of people to hang out with. Right. And so, yeah. So I think it's good to talk about money. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Rich people aren't going around trying to impress each other with their money. Um, they're just learning from each other about, right, right. That's, it's really interesting because whenever we see people with expensive things or we see a car on the road and you Google it and you find out that it's a $350,000 car, you're like, oh my gosh, that person is so rich. That really just may (laughs) not be the case. They might be scraping pennies together just to be able to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. But also like, what is the definition of rich? You know, so people buying expensive things or people having a lot of money and not spending it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how I'm trying to think about how to phrase this question. So what do you think your definition of rich is? Is there a threshold, any like amount of debt that you would consider low enough to consider yourself rich? Does that make sense? So I think it, it varies for everybody because everyone's in a different situation, whether it be how many dependents you have, um, where in the country you live, obviously the numbers are going to vary astronomically. Um, for me, wealth is having like being able to choose what you do with your time, Mm. having the freedom to not have to worry about money. Um, so I think once, once you get to that point, whatever that means for you, yeah that to me is, is a a wealthy person. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense to me just because I always defined success or I should say financial success by how much freedom I have. So if I, you know, there's, it's one thing to worry about putting food on the table and having a roof over your head, 
versus, oh, I'm not going to be able to make my $700 a month car payment or I can't afford my $3,000 mortgage. You know, you put yourself in those places. And personally, my husband and I have always prided ourselves on living below our means. Mm -hmm. We have, you know, it's just the two of us. We have just a small rancher style family home. We have three bedrooms, enough for, you know, us guests to stay. And then my little office that I sit in. And every time I would go to a friend's house that just, they just built, or it's just, everything's Mm -hmm. brand new. It's like, ah, you know, we could afford to do this, but we don't. Mm -hmm. And because something that we're passionate about has always been travel. And we wanted to be able to Mm -hmm. afford to do that and not have to worry about really what we were spending on. Obviously, you know, a $10,000 flight to Fiji every year isn't probably going to work. (laughs) But, you know, you just want to be able to go out and do and see the things that we want to do without having to think about it. Right. But less stress I, that way. Yes. Like more freedom. Yeah. Exactly. Now you mentioned the area of the country that you're living in. Uh we're in central Pennsylvania and you specifically are very familiar with the Lancaster community. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel like this area of the country compares to other areas as far as money management goes or just the population in general? Oh yeah. Um well, and when I mentioned areas of the country, I was more so talking about just cost of living and affordability. Right. Um, I don't know a lot specifically about, I think Lancaster County in general has more conservative traditional, you know, history. And so one would think financial uh, intelligence would be kind <laughs> of passed down throughout the years. Yeah. Um uh, and, and so maybe we do have that more so than other parts of the country. I don't have enough experience like in other parts to really know for sure. I would just kind yeah. of make that assumption, yeah. but there's still plenty of people around here that were like, Oh, I never learned that growing up. So, yeah, I, yeah, yeah I think that you're right about that. That's, I mean, anywhere there's not a lot of education <laughs> for younger yeah. people, but I just always kind of assumed like just looking from the outside, I'm just from a little Southwest of Baltimore. When I moved here, I looked at Lancaster as having like old money, almost like uh, wealthy, more established wealth versus something like Beverly Hills, where it's just flaunted in your face and you have a lot of like up and coming stars and influencers and things like that. But so I guess what I'm trying to say is how does that equate to the education that people have in our area about money? You know, obviously in schools as young people, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but as older people, it just, I just assume that people are more intelligent about wealth around here. Do you Mm -hmm. feel that way too? Potentially. And I mean, you could also run into the, the problem that if your family never had to worry about money, that you never really learned about how to handle money. Um, So I could see it going either way, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think are the most important things for young people to know about money before they Mm -hmm. really have to start worrying about it? Yeah. So um, 
I think we already kind of touched on first and foremost, kids need to be told that you don't spend more than you make. Right. Um, that's the the groundwork for everything else that, you know, we can talk about and that will help them in the future. But yeah. um, it seems like a common sense thing, but I think, yeah, when you're in a, when you're around people and you're in a society where everyone is just going into credit card debt and taking loans for things that they maybe don't need and, right. and whatnot, you, you fall into a lifestyle of spending more than you make. And if yeah. you just make the decision when you are, you know, when you get your first job, when you're a teenager, that you are not going to spend more than you make, then you're setting yourself up for a lifetime of right. success and just an easier life. Yeah. So do in doing that and spending less than you make, obviously there's a, you know, a surplus there and that's the money that can be used to save and to invest. Mm -hmm. So obviously without spending less than you make, you don't have money to invest and to save. Right. And so one of the most important things that I want to make sure kids understand early in life and that, and also that parents really understand to, to help their kids do these types of things mm -hmm. is okay. So one is investing early. And the reason why doing that early is so important is because of compound interest, yeah. which a lot of people don't even learn about until later in life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the idea of the, you know, the money that you set aside to make money for you is earning, you know, dividends and interest, depending on where you have it invested. Mm -hmm. And then those dividends and interest that it earned is now also earning dividends and interest on top of it. It's compounding on itself. Right. So the money, you know, you might just put in a thousand dollars, but then it is perpetually forever making more and more and more money for you exponentially because it's, it's earning on the money that it earned for you. Right. Right. right? Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think even one thing to point out is just, if you look at data, you can find these calculators and information all over the internet. But I think it's so fascinating that if you as an 18 year old mm -hmm. decide to invest every year, I think it's like $2,000. They use, you know, different numbers to show right. examples, but if you say $2,000 a year, which is like a little less than $200 a month, but if you mm -hmm. commit to do that while you're young, yeah. instead of going out and buying a pair of sneakers or going out to eat all the time, yeah, um, put a little less than $200 a month into like a, a mutual fund that follows the S and P or some kind of, you know, very safe investment in the stock market. Right. do that until you're like 25 and then never add to it again. Yeah. The money that it will compound for you by the time that you're ready to retire is more than the person that starts at 25 and contributes that same amount until they're 65. Oh that's, my gosh. That's the power of starting young. It's crazy, but no one tells 18 year olds this. So they missed the boat, you know? Right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. All of a sudden, I feel like my entire young adult life has just been wasted. Throw it out the window. Isn't it awful? I know. It's kind of sad. We have to get past that and we have to help the younger people now. <laughs> I know. I know. So, wow. I mean, yeah. how do you feel like we can get this education to younger people? Do you think mm -hmm. there should be programs in schools? Do you think it should be classes? Like, how do you think, what is the best method to get this information out there? So that's really what I'm trying to work on figuring out right now, I was hoping that my book um, would be like a stepping stone or like a foot in the door or just a, you know, a proof of credibility to be able to, to talk to whether it's school districts or 
um, officials at the state level, right. or I don't even know. I'm, I'm looking for opportunities and I, I, yeah. I want to find ways to at least get conversations about the, um, the information within my book kind of started. Yeah. And, um, so I don't know what all the answers are of how to do that, but it's kind of what I'm focusing on now, finding ways to really get this information out there. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, I mean, if anybody listening to this podcast has any ways or means of how we can help get this information out to younger people, please head us up. We'll (laughs) provide all of the contact information, uh, in the description to this episode below. And, um, you know, I, I just think that this is absolutely fantastic and that young people need to hear this, but how did you get to that place? How did you decide that you wanted young people to learn all of this? Yeah, it was, um, it was really just from hearing so many people that were close to my age Mm -hmm. saying, I wish I knew. Yeah. Um, over and over that same phrase, I wish I knew. Yeah. And, and I was like, man, someone needs to write a book about this. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I am not an author that was never on my bucket list. I never, ever thought I would write a book, but after a while I was like, you know what? I feel like maybe young, young people could resonate with my story, um, with how I started learning about money so young. Yeah. Um, and to show that it can be done, that you can start young and, and here's what a life can look like then if you, if you do make strong decisions Mm -hmm. for your future. Um, so it was really just like, I, I felt like I had to, yeah, you had Um, a service to provide and that was your, yeah, I guess. That's awesome. So did you start investing like at 18? Then when did you buy your first house? Like, can you tell us a little bit about that story? Sure. Yeah. So, um, when I was, I don't know, I want to say probably 10 years old, maybe a little younger than that. My, my dad owned rental properties. And so he would take me along to work on the properties because I liked learning about like construction and just, yeah. you know, how to use power tools and whatever else. Oh, I liked, that's so cool. I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> and I liked spending time with my dad. And then, so, so while we were there, you know, spending hours working on a property, he would take that time and I don't even know if it was intentionally, he wanted to educate me or if he was just like, I don't know what else to talk about. So I'm going to tell you about how rentals work. Cause he, you know, he's like, you know, these are tenants that are living in a property that I own and, and they're paying me money that I, you know, use to pay the mortgage. And also it puts money in my pocket on top of that every month. And he's like, so do you think it's better to be the person that's the tenant paying me money? Or would you rather be the person that owns the property and people are paying them money? And I'm like, wow. I want to be the person that owns the property. So it was like from a very young age, yeah. I knew that I never wanted to be a renter and also that I wanted to be a landlord. Wow. So, so I started saving money. Like I was very, very frugal. Anytime I would get like birthday money or whatever, mm-hmm. I saved it instead of, I think probably most kids who don't know that that's an opportunity for their future are just like, Oh, I want to go buy some candy at the candy store. I want to, yeah. whatever. I was like, this is what I'm working towards. Wow. Um, and then, so it was like a little while later and my dad was kind of like, I don't even know. I don't have a strong memory about this, but he was kind of telling me, like teaching me about the stock market. Okay. And so I had a little bit of money saved up. It was like $741. And, um, that's cool. I love that you have the exact amount, $741 and and 29 cents. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
but I was like, I, I picked out a mutual fund. I was looking at my dad's barons and he had kind of showed me how to look at like what's performing well. And, and, and I was just like, dad, I was like, I want this one. And he's like, cool, let's do it. So then I did that. And, you know, years later when I bought my first house when I was 23 and I did, I used that money. It hadn't grown to very much by then. I think it was a little over $2,000 by then, Mm -hmm. but that was part of the money that I used to buy my first house at 23. Wow. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. So, you know, I think that I think of kids, not even just their heads, not in the right place. Like they're not maybe ready to learn about money or things Mm -hmm. like that, or don't want to. And, but clearly children, like kids have the ability absolutely do this if Mm -hmm. they really want to. And I think making it alluring to, you know, where it's attractive at the age of 23 to own a house and, you know, be like that. I mean, how can we, how can we make it so that kids want to learn about this? How can we make this attractive? (laughs) I don't see, I feel like it, it should, it just seems naturally attractive. Right. Like I don't know. And I hope that I tried to write my book in a very, very simple, easily understandable way um, mm-hmm. and, and showed the benefits yeah. of, of making these decisions early in life. And yeah. so I guess we'll see if yeah. that ends up having an impact. But yeah, I don't know much about kids really and how to get into their <laughs> psyche. <laughs> so. We just have trial and error, I guess. I don't yes, know. yes, we definitely have trial and error. And that's the thing is that, you know, you have to put so much time and energy into trying something before it can fail because you don't really ever know if it worked. And I think we talked mm-hmm. about this in one of our coffee meetups. And yeah. um, it's fun talking to you because we both, like, neither of us have kids. And we talk about how that's just not really for us, but we also talk about how important it is for Mm -hmm. kids of, I mean, this generation to move forward because it's the future. Like they are our Mm -hmm. future. And Mm -hmm. as much as you may not want kids or even want to be around them, we have to realize that these people are going to be entering the workforce, workforce completely uneducated about money and the the epidemic is just going to continue getting worse if we don't take action now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, it's just I think what you're doing is amazing and I can't tell you I've had conversations with people on even other podcasts talking about how our generation specifically was so pushed into certain directions like going to college and yeah. things like that and we never had any education about this. And so do you feel like if kids were taught about this in school, there were programs and kids were actually implementing this, do you think that that has the power to change our society as a whole Yeah. to be much more positive and maybe even less capitalist? Does that make sense? So I think number one, I do feel like it's the parents' responsibility to give an education like this to their children. And I understand that a lot of parents are like, I don't even know what to teach, but then maybe search out resources that can help them. And I think so many, like, so, you know, I was very debt averse from the time that I was like 10 years old to the point that I was like, 
I don't want to take student loans. Like I, I learned how bad loans like debt can be for you. So I was like, I'm going to work my, you know, two jobs and pay my way through college. And, um, and so just having that little bit of education about how student loans can affect your future, I think could change the decisions that children make because kids are just like, yep, you just go to school, you take student loans, you pay them back later. It's fine. And then people wake up 10 years later and they're like, I had no idea that I was going to be, you know, chipping away at this for years and years and years and not even making a dent in, in it. And it's like, I feel like even, yes, if schools would even just say, um, like, here's, here's how student loans going to affect your future. Make sure that this is something that you really want to do. You're not just doing it because everyone says you're supposed to do it. Right. That in and of itself would make a world of a difference. Yeah. And especially the kids that want to go on to be doctors and lawyers and all of the education that they have, some of them have debt student loan debt that's worth more than most people's houses. Mm -hmm. And it's scary to think about the fact that, okay, so you went to college, you got your degrees, you got your dream job, but now you can't, I mean, you're in so much debt. It's like, what's, what is this? What is this life that we're living? Right. So, I mean, when you were younger, when you were in your 20s and you went to college, um, so you probably know some of the atmosphere is a very, let's go out, let's go to dinner, let's go do this. Do you ever feel like you personally missed out on sometimes because maybe you were trying to save some money, didn't want to go out to dinner or anything like that? Yeah. Oh, I've absolutely done that. Yeah. I did that in college. I feel like I missed my whole college experience because- like I was there to set up my future where I guess a lot of people were there to kind of like party and I wasn't Mm -hmm. into partying. I like, yeah, I, I don't regret it because I feel Mm -hmm. like I, I'm in a place now Mm -hmm. that is worth more than had I gone out to eat more often. Um, but there's, I mean, there's been times in my life, even in my twenties, um, I'm, I was working all the time in my twenties And even setting really strict budgets for myself to the Mm -hmm. point that even friends, friends that I still have today are still like, Hey, remember when I used to ask you to go for a bourbon and you'd be like, Nope, it's not in my budget this week. (laughs) Like I would literally, I'd give myself like $60, like every Monday I'd go and take $60 out of the ATM. And when that money was gone, I didn't, I didn't do anything else that week. So I had to think about, um, do I want to go out to dinner tonight or do I want to wait and and maybe go out? on Friday or like I had to really think about every penny that I was spending, not because I didn't have anything more than $60, but because I told myself I'm only giving myself $60 because the rest is going towards buying my next investment property or going towards paying off a mortgage or something like that. Yeah. So, um, so yes, I've absolutely missed out on a lot of things and do I regret it? Absolutely not. Good. I am so happy to hear. That's awesome. I mean, when you really, really, truly think about it, like I, I live for food. I'm a foodie. I love doing that. And there have been so many times where a friend of mine will say, oh, let's go to this new restaurant in Philly. And then all of a sudden it it happens like a lot and it starts to accumulate Mm -hmm. because, you know, especially right now, going to a restaurant is very expensive. Mm -hmm. You've got the drinks and everything adds up and you just want to try it all. And it's alluring and it, the instant gratification is there, but Mm -hmm. then, you know, you start to think about, okay, well that was fun. And now I'm, I've got this like financial hangover because I spent (laughs) $300 on a dinner where I could have 
put it towards something else and you start feeling a little guilty and you know, all of that stuff. So definitely starting to get to a place where it's like no regrets. If I say no. (laughs) Good. That's awesome. I also think it's really helpful and healthy to, um, to reward yourself. Like there's times in the past where I've like I've buckled down and made a goal, like, okay, I'm going to pay off. Cause I, I own like a couple rental properties. So mm-hmm. they don't, they have mortgages on them. And then right. but I want to get rid of those mortgages. Yeah. So like buckle down and pay off a mortgage. And then I'm like, but you know what, after that mortgage is paid off, I'm going to let myself let loose for a little bit. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. And those are the times that I'm going to go spend $300 on a dinner in Philly or whatever else. Yeah. And then maybe a couple months later or whatever works, you know, mm-hmm. be like, all right, I'm going to buckle down again for this next goal of yeah. either saving for another property or whatever it might be. Yeah. So I think it, I mean, it makes you want to get through the, the buckle down part that much quicker. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you're like, okay, I'm going to let myself spend money again. Once I get through this, it makes you do it faster. Yeah. Um, it also makes it like a game or a challenge. Like there's just, and this is just something that works for me. I don't know if it works for everybody, but yeah. that's kind of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes total sense. I just recently started because of, um, you know, things in the grocery store and I'm just a very, like, I want to eat as cleanly as I possibly can. And I, there's like a few farms around here that I love going to and the farms in our area, they're mostly cash only. And so what I started doing and I found this out. So going to those farms prior to, inflation and all of the price gouging and everything going on, it was a lot more expensive to go to these farms. So when I did, I would, you know, I would just be very cognizant with what I was spending. And now, I mean, it's either right on par or less than going to the grocery store. So, but this is the cool part is that I will take a hundred dollars in cash out of the ATM. And I will go to these farms. And obviously, like, the cash that I have with me is what I have. So I'll go to the farms and I'll buy what I can with this $100, which I, by the way, recently figured out that I don't even need that. I I I was going to say, that sounds like a lot, but. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I'm used to going to the grocery store. Okay. So I'm just thinking $100 is nothing because that's what I spend on groceries, right? Mm -hmm. So I go to the farms and, you know, I had a bunch of money left over, which was great, but it's a cool way to really budget yourself. Mm -hmm. You have a set amount there. You can't spend anymore because you physically, they won't take another form of payment. <laughs> right. So you buy what you need. And Ca- cash is where it's at. People are so yeah. used to just using plastic for everything. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're like, where'd all my money go? And it's yeah. like, if you, if you're using cash, you're, you're being cognizant and, and paying attention to where your money's going. Yeah. I loved it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing. It's going to be great for saving. I can take out what I want, spend what I want just then and there with what I have. And it's great. But I think like services like Venmo and PayPal and those types of apps have also made it a lot easier to go above and beyond. Because even if you're out grabbing a slice of pizza with a friend, if it's not in your budget to do that that month or whatever, it makes it so easy for you to be like, your friend says, oh, don't worry, I got it. I'll cover it. Just Venmo me later. And you're like, okay, fine. Yeah, that's whatever. It's, it's not even there. It doesn't even still seem like a real exchange. Oh, My husband man. has said to me many times, he's like, is money even real? Like, I just feel like there's cool. so... That's a whole other thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's for 
part two. <laughs> but I mean, it's just there's this exchange going all the time with, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, pay me here, pay me there. Or you're buying something online. There's You don't see anything happening. Mm-hmm. So it does definitely make you think, is this even real? Like, it's not there, out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just all very interesting to me. I'm very fascinated. And that's, so that's, yeah, again, back to teaching kids the habit of being intentional with yeah. money. Yeah. And I think honestly, we should be intentional with everything in our lives from our yes. relationships to our, our food. Like you're intentional with clean eating, mm-hmm. um, money, just being intentional and not yeah. ending up. I, I hate that meme about like, Oh, I stopped in target for toothpaste and $300 later. Yeah. It's like, no, that shouldn't happen. If you, if you create the habit at a young age of being intentional with your money. Yeah. So even when money is just kind of theoretical and it's everywhere flowing in and out of apps and, and yeah. cards and whatever, if you are, if you have the habit of just being intentional about where your yeah. money's going, yeah. you can avoid those, those traps that a lot of people fall into. I completely agree with that. I will say like making a list specifically before I go to target is extremely important because Mm -hmm. if I have the list and I see everything I need there, I'll get everything that I need and I'm not even focused on what else there is. Yeah. So I've crossed everything off the list. Good to go. I feel like that even just helps me. Oh, I'm sure that's probably, yeah, that would help everybody. Yeah. And then you're not like wandering around looking for what you think you need and Mm -hmm. so forth. But I mean, is that weird? Like I don't, go into Target and accidentally spend $300. No, that's how it should be. <laughs> and I think people try to normalize that that bad habit. Yeah. I don't know if it makes them feel better by being like, oh, everybody does this. And then everybody thinks, oh, everyone else is doing this. I should just go and, and wander around Target. But that's, no, yeah. that's not how it's supposed to be. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, don't get me wrong. Target has some amazing things. Yeah. However, if you want it, put it on the list before you go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and decide if it fits into your budget that week. Yes, absolutely. Well, Christina, this has been a very educational, informative, amazing conversation. And I just love what you're doing. So, mm-hmm. but tell us like, how can people connect with you? Where can they find your book and all of that good stuff? Yeah. Thanks. This was such a fun conversation. I love talking to you. <laughs> I, know, I feel the same way. <laughs> awesome. Um, but yeah, so there's christinadeal.com. That's a, a place to go and just learn more about the book. And there's, you know, yeah. a button there where it'll take you right to the Amazon page where you can buy it. Cool. Um, Amazon's the only place that it is sold right now. So that's the best place to go. Awesome. Um, and then as far as like, well, for real estate, Lancaster home girl is my Facebook business page and, and website. Um, so if anyone ever has questions about real estate, happy to talk about that or questions about my book. I love talking about money really. So that's great. (laughs) Reach out anytime. Um, and all my contact info is, is online. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I hope people will reach out to you because you're very approachable and you're also very approachable about money, which, you know, the stigma, everything. So that's really important nice. too. And I feel like people can genuinely open up to you and start having that conversation because it is so incredibly necessary. That makes me happy. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming mm-hmm. on today. And thank you to all of our listeners. Reach out and uh, I will put all of that information in the description to this episode below. So thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. 